Welcome to the Bolstered Up Sports Podcast. I'm Brian Bolster. Please follow me on Instagram at bolstered underscore up underscore sports and on Twitter at BS underscore takes. Please share, rate, review, and subscribe. I appreciate all of the support. Today, I've got Theo Ash, sports journalism major, joining me. You might know him as 16 Game Sample Size on TikTok and YouTube. You can also find him on Twitter at TheoAsh1. The guy does some great film breakdowns, particularly on TikTok and YouTube. Make sure to check him out. Today, we discuss how advanced analytics are changing the NFL, how fantasy football skews the view of fans, and hit on some hot topic quarterbacks such as Carson Wentz, Baker Mayfield, and Sam Darnold. This was a great episode. I know you guys are going to enjoy. All right. Hey, Theo. How are you, man? I'm good. I appreciate you joining me. It's really cool to have a sports journalism major here on the show. So tell everybody what got you so into sports and particularly what led you to choose sports journalism as your major. I don't know. I've just always, it's mostly football is my thing. I do like basketball and other sports, but my main thing is football. And it has been that way, I don't know, since I was a little kid, I had this box full of all the helmets of all the teams and like throw those around and it's always been in like the outcomes of games and the keeping track of the scores of things always really interested me and when I was going like looking for a college and trying to decide what like at the end of high school what I wanted to do um sports journalism just seemed like a good marriage between you know sports which I enjoyed and writing which I enjoyed and being on podcasts and and tv which I enjoyed so it kind of seemed like the best of all worlds Yeah, that's really cool. It'd be awesome to see you on TV someday, or at least, you know, ESPN, if that's your goal, Fox, whatever it may be. That would be awesome. Uh, Now, just pay me something anywhere. (laughs) Anywhere is my goal. I'm not thinking about it. (laughs) I guess that's true. Maybe just start one step at a time. But correct me if I'm wrong, but you're currently attending Arizona State University. That's right. I'm a sophomore. All right. That's awesome. Now, I've got to ask you, I know Gronkowski went to Arizona. But is the reason that you chose Arizona State the same reason as him being the pool parties? Uh, No, there aren't a lot of schools that that have good journal people. I tell people I'm a sports journalism major at Arizona State and they're like, oh, you must be a huge party guy. I break down I break down sports on TikTok. I'm not a huge party guy. Um, They do have a really good journalism program. It's a huge school. So they've got connections, you know, everywhere. So that's that's why I went there. Not. The social life is a nice added bonus, but it's it's mostly because it does have a good program. And that, that's awesome that you're having that business first kind of approach. I think that's going to pay off in the long run. Have some fun, you know, limit it, but I would encourage you to have some fun while you're in college. Similarly to anything in life, you know, the great part about college is the process, right? Not graduation. At least in my opinion, as somebody who's been to college and graduated, the best part of college is not the graduation. It's the four years that you spend, or five in my case. So I would definitely encourage you to soak that up as much as possible. Right. All right, let's get right into the crux of the issue. I know something that we've disagreed on quite a bit, and you've had quite a few videos on, and that is the question of momentum and the role that it plays, particularly, again, let's stick to football. So let me pose you this question and kind of let you 
take this where you want. Is momentum real? It is real in that it is another word for excitement. Like when you score a big play on offense, right? Everyone feels good. Everyone feels excited. The fans, in my opinion, feel the same thing. And they feel like things are going in their favor and they feel like everything's going to go right from this point on. Where momentum is not real in my case is that, that it actually does help you from that point on. The definition of momentum, right? You picture a rock rolling down a hill. And as you keep going and going and you're rolling, you become harder and harder to stop. But I don't think that's quite the case in football because you get a big play, right? The defense doesn't quit. The defense isn't going to sit there and be like, oh, I'm sad. And it just becomes easier to plow right through them. The other team is hurt. They're embarrassed. And they're going to go out there because they're professional athletes and take their game, I think, to another level. And that's why you see momentum shifting back and forth, back and forth, almost every game. And if momentum was kind of real in the way that people define it, in my case, whereas when things are going well, they continue to go well, and you can build on things going well, and it becomes harder and harder to stop you, you wouldn't see momentum shifts happen so frequently. Like momentum, like a rock rolling down the hill doesn't go up the hill, down the hill, up the hill, down the hill. It just keeps going in one direction. The only games that really are evidence of momentum existing are blowouts. And I don't know if blowouts happen because of momentum or they just happen because one team is really good and one team is, you know, not as talented. So that's my, that's my kind of thing on momentum. Yeah, and I definitely see where you're coming from. And to me, you've got it from a maybe big picture perspective. And I think you're definitely more right along the lines of the NFL, right? I, I coach in the high school football, so they aren't professionals. When you say that it's not going to affect an NFL player as much, I would agree with you, right? These are professionals. It is their job. They're just not going to quit because they get embarrassed on a play. And I've got to give you credit in terms of the definition of the word momentum. Yes, it doesn't quite apply, but I think it's important to note that really we use that as a metaphor for positive things going your way, like you said. Now, where I would disagree is you, you use the word excitement. I wouldn't say that, although it applies, right? After a good play, something's going your way, you are going to be excited. I would say the more apt word is confidence. And confidence will affect your play. Right now, to measure degrees, and again, I will concede that in the NFL, it is different, right? They aren't high schoolers or even college players that are going to be just naturally more up and down developmentally as well as developmentally within the game. And so I think we see it. It's just maybe overstated, I think, is a better word than not real. Right. But, I mean, what do you think about that? I think, it, I think that's true. I mean, as I've had to write pieces on, on games before. And a game where a team starts to get rolling, as, a, as an, a broadcaster or as a journalist or someone who's covering the game, it's easy to just say momentum is kind of a blanket term. Like the Ohio State versus Clemson playoff game a couple years ago. Clemson started rolling in the second half and or they came back from a deficit and it's easy to say they captured the momentum and just kind of leave it at that when it really comes down to like there was a fumble six that got called back and called an incompletion the star running back got hurt for Ohio State and stuff like that and it's just it is it's easier and just kind of a cliche to be like Ohio State got all the momentum when there are really reasons outside of just confidence that led to you know a run of points. 
No doubt, right? So, like I'm a football coach, right. and that's why you'll hear football coaches reference execution so boringly, right? They'll get blown out in a game, and they'll be like, we've just got to execute better. Because that's the thing that they see, one, the controllables. But two, they aren't going to just blame the game on momentum. They see the game on a more granular level, right? Everything that right. led to the momentum. So I think you're definitely on to something. But I do think it definitely impacts the game. As far as that confidence level or lack of confidence on the other side does affect the game, right. NFL to yeah, a much lesser degree. Confidence totally. If you go out there and you don't think that you're going to score, you don't think that you're going to win, you don't have any confidence, you're going to go out there and play bad. My whole thing is that on the NFL level, you're never going to get a – no player who made it to that high a degree that they're starting on an NFL game is going to lose confidence to the degree of which momentum is – like the Panthers – Packers game the other night they said the word momentum the announcers did like 10 times and it's like it's just something that's like I don't think anyone on the Packers didn't have any confidence that they could score because they kind of lost momentum in the second half really I think it was probably a coach a nice coaching by the Panthers nice execution by the Panthers to keep them from like marching down the field and it's kind of hard to explain you know especially for someone who hasn't played and which which a lot of the journalists like including me haven't done it's like it's hard to kind of explain all the reasons why someone's not going down the field and scoring. And it's easy to say they don't have any momentum and people just kind of accept it. The data that I use and the things that I've looked at to, to come up with this point have all been data collected at the NFL level. So, yeah, at, at the high school level, it, could be very, it very well could be different. But at the NFL level, I just don't think that it exists in the, in the capacity that people think it does. Yeah, and overall, I would agree that it's overused. Definitely on the broadcast, you'll hear that all the time. And probably just a little bit overstated. I would push back a little bit that these NFL players don't lose confidence. I think we've seen that. Now, it's not on a play-to-play basis probably as much. But I think we've seen it with particularly young quarterbacks because we focus on them the most, right? After they struggle or after they feel pressure, you can see it affect their game. One good example is Baker Mayfield last year. He was absolutely, to quote St. Darnold, seeing ghosts. He was causing a lot of his own pressure. And then with Carson Wentz this year, right? And that doesn't mean to say that he is only playing bad because of a lack of momentum or losing confidence. But I think that definitely plays a role in the psyche of even professional athletes. Um, We're not going to talk too much about baseball, but I know baseball is one sport that it's brought up the most, you know, with hitters going through slumps or pitchers not being able to find the strike zone. Yeah, the yips, the yips are a term like a, a player just kind of stunning, suddenly losing it. Is that something that exists? And I guess, I don't know. Momentum is just such a broad term. Confident, it means a lot of things and people apply it to a lot of different th- like ways. And I don't know. I do, I do agree that confidence exists and your confidence can get shaken. But just because a team has like seems to be getting momentum in an NFL game, I don't really think that that predicts future success to the level that people think it does is basically what it comes down to. Yeah, I would agree. Like at the end of the day, the better team wins, right? They can lose momentum from the start. Like let's say Tampa Bay and Atlanta just yesterday, right? The Falcons had all the momentum. Obviously people say that flips and then Tampa Bay gets all the momentum, which okay, to some degree that's true. Halftime helps. And I know that's a big thing in football right? Halftime. We've seen that in the Super Bowl, even with this very matchup. But again, I, I think at the end of the day, the better team, the better quarterback won. Yeah. Chiefs, Chiefs, Texans is another one. It's like, if momentum's not real, explain the Chiefs, Texans game, the one 
the Chiefs scored like 54 straight points after being down 24. It's like I turned it off when it was 24-0. They had so much momentum. I figured the game was over. Like, like when momentum goes back and forth, like I don't know. It Mahomes is just the Chiefs are just better, and it's a talent deficit that was there before the game. But yeah. But you bring up an interesting point, like momentum is a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Right. So I can go with that message and just always say that the team with the momentum won, right? It's whoever had the momentum last. Does that make sense? Like I could say the Texans had all the momentum. Well, and then Patrick Mahomes took the momentum and took the game, right? I can always use it to say that that's why the team won. No matter what, it's hard to argue against momentum because you can point to any, any good thing that happens and say that was momentum. So it's it's a hard thing to prove isn't isn't real because it's it's hard to prove something that it's a difficult thing to quantify or it's a difficult thing to to define really. Yeah, no doubt. It, it, you're not really going to find it in a a spreadsheet or a specific number. You're not going to get a momentum rating for a game. So it's one of those things that is kind of out there in the ether. But one thing that people do tr- attribute some level of momentum to, just maybe not in the original aspect, is offenses and particularly quarterbacks gaining momentum during garbage time. So maybe not momentum that's influencing, it'll influence the score, but not necessarily the outcome. What's kind of your take on garbage time? Is it something that we should use to discredit, let's say, a Jameis Winston, possibly a Dak Prescott, like, oh, well, their yards in particular are attributed to garbage time. Garbage time is weird because it's like Dak got all his yards in garbage time this year. And partially I see where they're coming from with that because Dak did get a lot of yards while he was down by a lot of points. But, like, you look at the Cowboys-Browns game, right? Dak got a lot of yards, but he also – brought the Cowboys back and they were within three at one point I think so was it ever really garbage time like garbage time if you come back from garbage time then it's just a comeback and it was never really garbage time but if you don't come back then it was just garbage time the whole time so that's one thing about garbage time the other thing about garbage time and just momentum is like when it's garbage time and you're down by a lot and you have no momentum like it seems like people are like, oh, it's easier to pick up yards in garbage time, but it's harder to pick up yards with no momentum. So that kind of seems like it. But I don't know. I feel like the thing with garbage time, I agree that there sh- that we should take some stuff. We shouldn't take garbage time into account. I agree with that, but I disagree with because it's just much easier to pick up yards. It's because in garbage time, coaches are one-dimensional. You have to push the ball down. You have to pass. The running game is abandoned. You have to pass. You have to push the ball down the field. The quarterback's not acting. No one is acting as they normally would. So stats that are, that are gained in garbage time are not really predictive of future situations because nothing that's happening in garbage time is like what's happening when it's a one-score game. What I disagree with with garbage time is, it is once it hits garbage time, it is just simple to, to just drive the ball up and down the field because the defense doesn't care anymore. Because I think the defense, because in garbage time, you're down by a lot. You have to push down the, the ball down the field. The defense knows this. And that is why the defense plays like a more prevent, you know, kind of style of defense where they'll give you the underneath over the middle stuff. And it, yeah, if you wanted to hit underneath over the middle stuff all the time, you could hypothetically do that. You're trying to push the ball down the field because you have to. And the defense is trying to prevent it. So in my eyes, it doesn't become harder, but it's not really pre- predictive of other situations if that makes sense 
Yeah, that makes sense. And I think my overall thing on garbage time is it has to be taken into account. That doesn't mean that you can completely cancel what somebody did. And I think if you're trying to use that to say that Dak sucks, then I'd say that you're wrong. If you're trying to use garbage time for the reason that he put up some gaudy number of like 1,800 yards in four and a half games, well, then that's probably true, right? If the Cowboys are playing for a lead, he can be playing great. He's not going to throw for 400 yards a game, right? So I think there's just a very degree to it. I think we've seen it play out with Blake Bortles and Jameis Winston a little bit more clearly. And what's interesting is I think it does play into confidence much more than people give it credit for. Because for an offense, you have an identity. For some struggling offenses, right, they don't. Once it gets to garbage time, you have an identity. You know what you're going to do. The offensive line, everybody's on the same page, right? And generically, you're going to see a more vanilla offense that's going to make things a little bit more black and white for the quarterback, right? Now, and that's also why some quarterbacks will get judged a little bit harshly for taking too many check downs in garbage time like you're just padding your stats you're not trying to win the game and I think we can see the difference between let's say Dwayne Haskins and Andrew Luck now I understand they're far different players right just on a talent level and everything but Dwayne Haskins he is the real check down king right there was a play earlier where he was still starting it's fourth and 12 fourth and goal actually from the 12 they need the touchdown to win and he throws a two-yard check down it's like what are you really doing there where Andrew Luck a lot of his interception numbers were inflated because he really would push the ball down the field and not take as many check downs I mean what do you think in relation to that well, that's kind of where I think stuff like touchdown to interception ratio is overrated because a lot of interceptions come at, like, if you throw interceptions, yeah, that's bad. But you're probably not going to be punting as much. And that's why I think stats like QBR or EPA are more useful than just touchdown to interception ratio because you have, you have guys that, that avoid interceptions. And, yeah, when you look at interceptions, they don't have a lot. Like your, your, your brain says good. They don't have interceptions. But the way that they're avoiding those interceptions honestly hurts the team more than just pushing the ball down the field. I'm curious on what you think. How much does that apply to Aaron Rodgers and some of the criticism he received for the previous two years? Not this year. But deserved, it was deserved. For the, as a Packer fan, I watched a lot of, a lot, a lot of games of the Packers. And – he he did a, he was at 25 to 2 or something last year was his touchdown to interception ratio and that's a great ratio right it's it's but he was not playing his best football last year by any any sense of the imagination the team was i think fourth in punt rate they went three and out more than just about any other team um the offense was disjointed the offense was frustrating to watch and although he was avoiding interceptions at a rate higher than he had ever been he was not making the best decisions that he has ever made. And that came to a head during the Lions game late last year when he wasn't accurate. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't, he looked really bad. He looked really bad. And that's why they drafted love this, this off season is because there was legitimate questions watching Aaron Rodgers, um, really since 2015 after his MVP year in 2014, 2015 was a bad year for him. Half of 2016 was bad, but then he had that run the table run where he was just absolutely incredible but a lot of 2016 was bad. 2017 wasn't great, but he was hurt. So 2018 wasn't great, and 2019 wasn't great. 
So, like, there was legitimate questions with Rodgers, even though his touchdown-to-interception ratio was so good during that time. He was not putting forward a really great body of work. Peyton Manning is another guy who threw a, a decent amount of interceptions, but that's because he was going for the touchdown all the time. And that's why he retired the all-time leader in touchdowns. And someone, and same with Favre, right? Favre is one of the greatest, threw a ton of picks. Interceptions, avoiding interceptions is a little bit overrated, in my opinion. I agree with you. It's actually something that I've pushed for a long time, that if you're avoiding interceptions at all costs, that's actually going to be a detriment to the offense. Because again, on the professional level, on the NFL level, if you throw a 40-yard interception down the field, especially third and long, they aren't yeah. losing their minds on the sideline, right? They're like, okay, no. that was a punt, and they're good to go. So to me, it's good to take touchdowns and then touchdown to interception ratio as a big picture take and then dig yeah. deeper. And I, I would caution maybe looking too much at QBR and EPA as a sole justification, right? Like those big ticket items have to be there first. And that's why I've always pushed for like Andrew Luck, who's had decent interception numbers. But if you looked, and even Russell Wilson to some degree, they're very situational. A lot of them third and long, very deep passes, or even fourth downs. I know Andrew Luck one season had a string where I swear he had four interceptions or five interceptions on halftime heaps, right? Basically the halftime Hail Mary. Like those don't count. I'm sorry. I'd rather my quarterback try than not yeah, try. No. Yeah, no, for sure. And and the thing with like QBR, QBR is definitely, I would say, flawed in the sense that I think it takes running a little bit too much into account. Um, and I'd say it maybe penalizes sacks a little bit too much. But it's overall, I like its inputs more than I like the input of just touchdown to interception ratio. And I kind of look at stuff like DVOA and EPA as kind of those big picture things. And then film is kind of this, like Odell Beckham is a player who did not put up great efficiency numbers. If you look at like football outsiders, he's an analytics website. I looked at his DVOA, it's real low. And then I looked at Odell Beckham's tape, right? And Odell Beckham, I think was playing great before he got hurt, but it's just a lot of his, his throws were a high degree of difficulty or a lot of his targets came at a high degree of difficulty from Baker Mayfield, who was you know, trying to force the ball to him. So of course his efficiency numbers are going to be low. So I think what my whole strategy is and what I'm trying to get better at is, is of all the stats that are out there, looking at the more advanced ones are the ones that are going to give you the best idea of what's going on more so than the ones like just touchdown to interception ratio. But, and you do have to watch film and get some context to those, to those numbers. Of course. Right. If we're being real, like, we're actually analyzing each player's going in depth film. Right. That's the big ticket item. And right. then you use those stats to help boost your case or help surround yeah. it with a little bit more context of film. Again, GMs, everything like that, they're using, or maybe not the GMs as much as scouts, right? Their personnel, the coaches, it's film first. Everything else comes secondary. So, I mean, in that vein and along with the advanced analytics a couple of things that have come more to the forefront have been aggressive play on fourth down, mm-hmm. two-point conversions, and let's stick with those two to start. What is your opinion on those? Because I'll say personally, I know you think I'm probably like a super old head, hate stats, but I've actually would consider myself pretty progressive in that, just not as yeah. much as you. But I've been somebody who's been pushing for – going forward on fourth down and two-point conversions a lot, and particularly, again, on the high school level, 
I think like you've got to be aggressive because when we look at starting position and the percent chances that a team scores, the yardage yeah. factor is very low compared to the NFL. But I'm very curious on your thoughts. When I'm watching a team and it's like fourth and one and it's at midfield and the team that I'm rooting against brings out the punting unit, I think, oh, thank God. Because I know that it's I, – I mean, I assume that's kind of the most thing. It's like, oh, good. that the, Like, do what your opponent does not want you to do. And I would – I would suspect in most cases it's a sense of relief when you when the punt team comes on and you get you are guaranteed to get off the field as opposed to you have to get two yards. You know, the analytics will tell you, right, going for it on fourth down and going for the touchdown as much as you can as opposed to, you know, a punt is is the right move. That's more fun to watch anyway. Like go for the touchdown all the time. Like analytics isn't isn't telling you some like boring thing. It's like be aggressive. And it's up to the coaches to figure – I mean, analytics can't draw up a play. Analytics can't execute the play. That's all on coaching. And I see a lot of, a lot of coaches, it'll be like fourth and two, and they'll draw up, you know, they'll bring everyone real close to the line of scrimmage, like in their goal line package, and, and get, try to get like two or three yards like that. And then it won't work, and everyone will blame analytics. The next – I do like that teams are going for it more on fourth down. I think the next step – is when it's fourth and three, you know, line up in shotgun and go, you know, run your normal routes instead of get going in goal line and trying to pick it up. Not that, it, you know, that's a terrible strategy, but to me, it seems like the next step is, is like just play fourth down like it is, like it's any other down. And the other thing is your third down play calls. If it's third down and eight, get it in your head that you're going for it on fourth down and maybe third and eight becomes a running down you know, and you have to, and it's two runs in a row instead of just picking it up in one pass, because that might be easier. I don't know, stuff like that. Definitely, you got to set yourself up for success. That's got to be your mantra all the time. Not that you just force it, but it's got to be part of the game plan. And if it is, then you're definitely taking that two down approach on third down. I think we are starting to see more teams pass the ball on these fourth and shorts, just for the reason that you're saying, not to mention the rules, the way that the game has gone, that pass interference is always something that you want to keep in your back pocket. And you brought up a good point where a lot of times teams go compress set and then don't always just run ahead. They run something to the perimeter. And it always cracks me up seeing fans just blame any play that doesn't work on a bad play call. And I don't want to get too coach and just like, oh, well, it's all execution. But, like, you can't live like that. That's just not realistic because guess what? On the coach's call sheet, there's no play that works and then play that doesn't work. And believe it or not, they never call the play that says doesn't work beside it, right? Like, that's just not how it works. No one ever gives credit to the defensive play call. It's always, oh, why on earth would you you run a bootleg? That's a good idea. It's just they had a good blitz called for it. Yeah. That's a great point because, honestly, I'm an offensive coach, so I probably don't think, you know, give, as I'm watching the defense, enough credit. Oh, like, that was a great play call. But it's just hilarious because, yeah, it doesn't matter. Run up the middle, boot, you try to hit them with some jet or even like a shovel pass to the tight end. It doesn't matter. They'll all be called bad play calls if they don't work. So there's nothing that you can run that is the great play call that doesn't work. So I agree with you. Being aggressive is always good. And in that same vein, I've always said that field goals are three points closer to losing. Do you apply that same kind of logic to the field goal versus touchdown? In particular, to me that directly applies to the you're on the 18-yard line and it's fourth and two. Like, go for it. 
yeah, no, field goals, field goals are bad. Field goals are punts with a consolation prize, especially if you're down like seven and you kick a field goal. Now you're down four. You still need a touchdown. How much closer did that actually bring you? Especially if it's like fourth and two, fourth and three, you go out and get the points. You still need a touchdown. You didn't get any closer to winning, especially at a, in college because college kickers are bad. <laughs> now I'd imagine it's worse in high school. There's right? a lot. Like, there's not many field goals in high school. Yeah, I, I, I do think field goals in general are something. I mean, obviously, they're not always the wrong call. A lot of times, coaches are a little, like, take the points. Isn't bringing you as close as people think it is. Yeah, I agree. And you brought up the perfect example. If you're down seven, kick the field goal, well, you still need a touchdown. So I right. agree with you. And what are the chances of you marching all the way back down the field? So, I mean, I agree. I think aggressive play is good. And Sticking with how the fans view the game, fantasy football has been around for a long time, but it has been really popularized, especially over the last decade and even five years. I'd say it's exploded far further. How do you think that fantasy football has changed the way that the common fan views the game? Me, my one take that I'll say is I think it is the sole reason that the fans have been ahead of the game in terms of running quarterbacks because that's what works for their fantasy team fantasy has its pros and cons it gets everyone I think everyone knows players more than they probably did a couple years like in the 90s like now everyone knows who you know Chase Edmonds is like not a single person doesn't know who that is at this point because he's a fantasy option so but it's only it only applies for offense not defense and I think one of the things that that it's affected is that People maybe care less about defense now because defense isn't something that affects their fantasy team. People value short touchdowns a little bit more and judge players based on, you know, how many one-yard touchdowns they get because the yard line between the one and the, the zero is is worth six times or 60 times more than, like, any other yard line in sports now. So, like, you know, second running backs or, or things – and really running backs in general, I think, are viewed as more valuable to a team than they act because they're the most valuable position in fantasy is probably a running back. But in like, a, I think a real football game, running backs are the most replaceable position. And if, and if, so like, I feel like there's a bunch of like little, I don't think it's anything too, too major that the fans just don't know how the, the actual game works anymore. But I think they prioritize things like just offense and running backs and, you know, one yard touchdowns more than they probably should. You brought up some good points. Let's talk about the one-yard touchdowns. Now, some people who have gotten a little bit of – and I don't even think, like, flack is the right word because Aaron Rodgers is having such a great season. But a lot of people yeah. have poked a little bit of fun at him, like he's the king of one-yard touchdowns this season because him and Devontae Adams, that connection they have is insane. How much does that devalue his touchdown production compared to Patrick Mahomes in your mind, or is it a lot? I think it does a little bit. I think it does a little bit. Obviously, he he hits that that play action, that bootleg on the one yard line. Tanyan is wide open. I mean, I could score those touchdowns. Um, and I do think so. The touchdowns it devalues a little bit, but I mean, he's still got to get down there. So I don't know. It it it's kind of a half and half thing that I I value his touchdowns less than I do everyone else, but I probably value his first downs more than I do everyone else. So. It's a tough – the MVP race between him and Mahomes is a, is a very interesting one because they both got kind of their 
Rodgers has the touchdown edge, but he has all the one-yard touchdowns. Mahomes has the yard edge, but he throws to, you know, Tyree Kill and, and has a better defense, and he has Travis Kelsey, so, and he has Andy Reid, although Rodgers has all good pieces around him, too, so I, I don't know which way. I'm a Packer fan, so I would probably <laughs> lean Rodgers, but realistically, it's, it's razor thin. It's a great case that I don't think is closed yet. So we'll just have to wait and see over the next two weeks. But the second point you brought up, I think, is really key because just like with the running quarterbacks, because they have that added value for rushing yards, let alone the rushing touchdown, same can be applied to the running backs and why they're valued so high in fantasy football. But I think a lot of people now, it's becoming more popularized again to have the opinion that running backs are replaceable. I think we've seen teams ahead of the curve, particularly the New England Patriots. They do not pay running backs at all, going back to even when it was more popular. So what do you think about paying a running back big money? And let's start with on a gradual scale, but at the top, right? So let's start with like Zeke, David Johnson, Todd Gurley, are they just completely wrong in principle or did things just break wrong for the teams and that player? I mean, the running backs like don't matter kind of movement and you should never pay them. It's tough for me because running backs, I always like to see players get the money that they, that they kind of earn because these guys go out there, they play, they put their body on the line, have great production and they deserve a big contract for it. I, I always like seeing guys get a big contract, but from a team building perspective, it's just time and time and time and time and time and time again. You see running backs get hurt, and you see their backup come in and do just as well. Last year, everyone is like, oh, you're, you're crazy if you think that the Panthers could replace Christian McCaffrey. You're crazy if you think the Giants could replace Saquon Barkley. This year it happens, and now it's, oh, you're crazy if you think the Saints could, could replace Kamara or you think the Vikings could replace Cook. And it's just tough for me to – it happens so often, pretty much every time. It happened with Gurley, David Johnson, it backfired. Devontae Freeman, it backfired. I would say it backfired with Jarek McKinnon, who got a big contract. I mean, when they, when they pick up Raheem Mostert, who's a great running back, who's been cut six times. C.J. Anderson come, came in and, and, and replaced Gurley. I don't even think of it as an opinion every, anymore. It just – it happens every time. So it's tough for me to sit here and say that you should just never pay your great running back. Like, again, as a Packer fan, Aaron Jones, I love Aaron Jones. He's a great running back. He's someone that I would love to have on the team and is just a great guy. And I don't, I feel bad saying he doesn't deserve his money. But from a GM, I would never do it. I would never, I would never allocate all my resources, whether that be a first round pick, whether that be, you know, $15 million a year. That's something I would rather put towards, towards pretty much any other position on the field. I can see the justification for a first round pick, although I would lean towards not doing it. What I just can't see the justification for is the contract. And particularly if you're extending yourself for more than three years guaranteed to a running back, I think that's absolutely crazy. And just like you said, we've seen it fail so many times that so many people are starting to kind of get on the bandwagon of don't pay that running back. Now, I do think there's a happy medium. And I'm curious if you think, in particular, the Tennessee Titans did find that happy medium with Derrick Henry because that was a four-year extension for $50 million, but only 25 guaranteed. So to me, that's like perfect because he's really good. So you want to pay him some, but you don't want to extend yourself too long. We'll see how long Henry can pick it up because, man, the, the wear and tear that that guy has on his body. That's the other thing about running backs. 
like a lot of rookies, they take a while to get into their, their prime. Running backs are in their prime as soon as they're drafted. Like when you don't have a lot of wear and tear on your body, you're 21 years old. I mean, running back is not, I think of all the sports, running back is probably the easiest position to play. Like you're 21, like AJ Dillon, he just got drafted and has to wait a year. That seems silly to me. Like running backs are a guy that you get, you draft right away. That's when their, their, their prime is. Derrick Henry is not built like other running backs. So he might be able to, you know, have that prime a little bit longer. But it'll be interesting to see as we wear on through this deal here. And it's something I thought we were going to see this year was him, you know, slow down a little bit because, because of just how much, how many carries he got last year. And every time you see a running back, I think it might be 325 or something is the number. Every time a running back hits that amount of carries, they regress hard the next year. And that's something I expected to see with Henry, but we didn't really. We'll see how long Henry can do it. But I do, I mean, if he keeps playing like he does, no one regrets that contract if he if he can if he can pull that off through the next four years here. And yeah, there's not a ton of money guaranteed. And and if he does continue it, no one will regret that contract, and it'll be the first running back contract in a while that the, that the team doesn't probably regret giving him. But I'm not I'm not convinced it'll happen. Just he has so many carries that I just don't see him being as effective as he is right now through three. I guess he has three years left. Yeah, so it'd be including this year three more he's really got two more guaranteed years yeah. after this year so I think it will pay off right maybe that that last guaranteed year you are seeing regression I don't doubt that but I think it was a relative short-term move and I think the key in this running back deal is it was less money than all the other guys that we named as well as Kamara and Cook who got paid and less guaranteed money so it's basically the cheapest and shortest deal Definitely the best of, of all the running back deals, for sure. All right, so I want to move and let's pick up the pace just a little bit. I want to get your thoughts on a couple hot topic QBs. Some people that maybe are trending way up, maybe trending way down. And let's start with Dak Prescott. Because to me, I saw him as still unproven, fringe top 10 before the season. And I think it's tough to sometimes parse out a young QB who has a great supporting cast. He's doing well, but, you know, how much do you attribute that to him? And so, to me, again, as somebody who's been a little bit on the outside, I wouldn't call myself a hater by any means, but probably a little doubt. What do you think about him getting all sorts of hype from his short stint this year? Should it have been there all along, or is it going a little too far, where I see him consistently – at like the fifth or sixth best quarterback. Yeah. I think I've got Dak at like the seventh best quarterback right now, but man, it's tough. Quarterback is a tough one because if Dak wants $40 million a year and you're more comfortable paying him like $34 million a year, that's a $6 million a year difference. And man, franchise quarterbacks have so much leverage that it's tough to start over over $6 million because if you don't, if you let Dak walk, like, yeah, you saved your $6 million, but you have to start over at the quarterback position, and that can be ugly, as we're seeing this year. Dak was a guy that all the advanced, all the advanced metrics just loved last year. Um, they, they had him as, like, pretty much as an MVP candidate, which wasn't where the mainstream, you know, the eye test had him, had him at. But he was, he was a really, really effective quarterback last year. So that was someone I kind of believed in giving him what he wanted because I did feel that he was someone that was kind of, in that offense on the Cowboys, he could win you a Super Bowl if he could, like, if you put the right pieces around him. And the Cowboys were a pick that I 
had to go have a really good season this year. And they weren't great with Dak, their record at least, but their offense was a lot better than it was with Dalton. So it'll be interesting to see what they do with Dak. They, they do have a decent amount of cap space, actually, so I do think they, they can get that deal done. So I would, I would sign Dak for like – I would give him a pretty similar contract to what Deshaun Watson got. I don't think – I think Watson's a better quarterback, but I don't think it's a huge gap, and I would rather pay Dak $40 million a year than completely start over at the quarterback position. And I think this year we're kind of seeing what – like you draft a quarterback and you hope it's as good as Dak Prescott. So I think Dak is, is a valuable player, and I think that this year is kind of showing that. Without a doubt, starting over is a scary proposition. Now, supposedly, again, I'm no insider. I don't know for sure, but the disagreement on the deal wasn't necessarily the number per year, but the years. Supposedly, the Cowboys wanted it to be longer, and he wanted like four years, so that way he could kind of cash in twice. I guess that's one of those things that we may never know for sure. But the, the only reason I would push back on paying him that huge contract and particularly the length now, like Deshaun Watson got, right. is just the injury. I think what right. we've seen, he definitely was worth big money over a lot of years. Even with the injury, I just they should have gotten a deal done before because you, because now he has the injury, and now you don't know. And he's probably he's probably even more expensive now than he would have been last year. So I don't know. You could they could franchise tag him again, technically. So they could do that too. It'll be interesting to see what they do. I would pay him personally. It's it's a risky proposition, but it's a risk I would take. I think they're likely to franchise him. That's probably what I would do as well. Just to yeah. be a little bit on the safer side, because like we've already mentioned, they do have some bad contracts on that team. I know they have some cap space, but that's largely because they haven't paid him. And I mean, the Zeke one, not to mention the Jalen Smith one, they, they've got some issues to work out in Dallas. But a team and a quarterback that seems to have resolved a lot of issues, is Cleveland and particularly Baker Mayfield. Are you sold on Baker being a, let's say, fringe top 10 quarterback? Fringe top 10, maybe, because just, just because there's only, I think, like seven or eight real franchise guys, like you can be the 10th best quarterback in the league and not be a really solid quarterback, I think. So, like, yeah, he might be playing at kind of a fringe top 10 level right now. I'm not sold on Baker being a great quarterback. I think that you're seeing kind of a – he's on a similar caliber to Jared Goff. He's on a similar caliber to, you know, Kirk Cousins. The similarities between this year's Browns team and last year's Vikings team is quite striking to me. You've got, you know, Stefanski there. You've got the wide receiving core of of OBJ and Landry. And last year it was Thielen and Diggs. You got a good run blocking offensive line. Their Browns offensive line is a lot better than the Vikings were. You got, you know, an elite secondary player, Harrison Smith, Denzel Ward. You got an elite edge rusher, Miles Garrett, Everson, not Everson Griffin, Daniel Hunter. I think Baker Mayfield's doing a good job of playing the part of Kirk Cousins. Those are two quarterbacks I see in a similar kind of caliber. Not a guy who's going to win without a lot of play action and a good team around him. I pretty much completely agree. Uh, first that let's say quarterbacks 10 through 15 the water's pretty muddy there I've said for a while now at least this year that Baker Mayfield is pretty much Jared Goff he's Kirk Cousins if he has elite components around him and you're keeping him clean he will play good however once chaos ensues his play will become chaotic as well. So, again, you got to give him credit for the way that he's been playing. They've been protecting him like crazy. 
when we've seen him pressured, although not very often, he has been really bad, the worst quarterback in the league. So that would be the one pushback I have. Not that he's bad, but just is he really a guy that's going to go win you games or is he a guy that you can just win games with? Yeah, no. There would be a big – if he wasn't succeeding right now, there'd be a big cause for alarm. He's passing an easy test right now, right? If you were to hand me a multiplication test from fourth grade and I, I filled it out and I did a good job, I'm not a genius. But if I failed it, you'd be like, oh, my, that's really a red flag. And that's kind of how Baker's doing. Like, he's in a situation, he's doing well, and it's good that he's not doing bad. But really, I'm not learning anything new about Baker Mayfield right now. I still have questions about how he, how he deals with – you know, when pressure, when chaos doesn't sue, is he going to make a good decision? And I feel like that answer is still going to be no. But uh, he doesn't really have to make those decisions. So it's a credit for everyone around him. And it's a credit to Stefanski, who's really, I think, in the coach of the year conversation, who's someone I would consider voting for. It's more of a credit to Stefanski than it is Baker, in my opinion. No doubt. Stefanski looks like a genius. And he's definitely got to be in the conversation for coach of the year, if not the front runner, in my opinion. I mean, I don't think people really understand. The analogy that you gave of passing an easy test, yes, he's passing. Don't get me wrong. But this is an unbelievable easy test. Like Baker is being protected better than any quarterback in the league. He's also holding on to the ball longer than any quarterback in the league. Right now, part of that's play action, right? I I get that. But it's just saying like that pass protection grades that they've gotten from PFF, like those are verified. It's not, he's getting it out super quick and that's kind of masking some things. So I think if you're a Cleveland fan, okay, maybe you don't have a great quarterback, but he's doing enough. And then I would just be more excited. That team is good and you've got a coach. Right. I would be really excited about the future. Crazy. I get a lot of Baker fans because I'm not high. Or I got a lot of Browns fans who are just so mad at me for my Baker for not giving Baker a ton of credit. It's like, dude, just focus on the everything else is so great like Baker is I don't think Baker's horrible but like man they 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 spend a lot of their time like getting mad about Baker instead of appreciating the rest of the team in my my eyes I completely agree like sadly and it's probably due to the lack of winning I would say that most at least young Browns fans are really more Baker Mayfield fans than the Browns like they are more worried whether or not people like Baker or he plays well more than they win yeah right like I said good things about Odell Beckham and said that like most of the Odell Beckham problems are on Baker and like they were all mad at me for Odell Beckham's on your team too I'm saying nice things just as on the, against a player who's just as much on the Browns as Baker is and they were just mad at me for for assuming that it, it might be Baker's fault instead and that's something you see with a lot of people are always more productive of their quarterback than they are any other position on the team. I think they're the obvious deficits when OBJ plays, but I think it's pretty common sense that Odell Beckham Jr. is a really good wide receiver and the Browns yes. are better with him out there, or at least have the potential to be better. And I agree with you. I right. think the fault is on Baker in that relationship, not that OBJ. I mean, I've been, pretty critical of him at times but at the end of the day it comes down to your leader and decision maker at quarterback to do what's right right and not force the ball if you have a guy screaming at you it's a lot like the Diggs situation from last year you put him on a team with Josh Allen who's not gonna you know they don't they don't force feed Diggs I don't think but they do get him the football um in an efficient manner and you see what happens in the numbers Diggs is putting up this year No doubt. And I think another part of that relationship is you have to scheme it up 
for Kirk Cousins and Baker Mayfield. Josh Allen, right. Aaron Rodgers, those guys arm talent to get it everywhere. So you don't have to right. force it as much. You don't have to call the Odell Beckham Jr. play to get him the ball every time, which it definitely seemed that way in Cleveland the past two years. Absolutely. Yeah, you could see it. Watch, I watched all the Odell Beckham targets, and he was either doing something really cool or he was triple covered, absolutely no reason to throw him this football, and Baker threw it anyway. And it's like, that's not really Odell's fault. That's, that's, so Odell might be making the offense worse, but it's not Odell making the offense worse. It's trying to force something that's not there, and that's not really his, his fault. It's just how it goes. Yeah, it's indirect, or you could say it's correlation as opposed to causation. But let's move to the last QB who has been getting just raked through the coals all year in Carson Wentz. Where does his story go? I, it's hard to believe that he's done outside yeah. of being done in Philly. But, I mean, yeah. what do you think about Carson Wentz? Can this be, you know, a resurrected quarterback? I'm sure that if you put him in a perfect situation, he could be a, a resurrected quarterback. The thing about Wentz is that everyone always talks about system quarterbacks. Wentz is not a system quarterback. Wentz is a, I'm going to take the ball and I'm going to make something happen. And the problem in Philly was that he just didn't have the weapons and didn't have the offensive line like he did in his 2017 year that he could make something happen because he's not as talented as Aaron Rodgers or really Josh Allen. So he's someone that I, I have some serious doubts about just going forward, just because, like, man, it's, it's tough when he looks so bad and just was the, at the bottom of the league and everything. And then Hertz comes in and everything just mad, like, it gets better. I'm not saying he's the only problem, but he was the biggest problem in Philly. Now, if he reunites with the Colts and Frank, if he reunites with him where he was at in 2017 when he had such a great year, Maybe he does, but I don't think it's far from a guarantee at this point. Yeah, it's definitely all up in the air. And I would attribute that to the lack of confidence. You know, some people have been throwing around that he's broken. And I don't know if I'd quite say that, but I definitely think that he's lost a little bit uh, mentally yeah. as well as his fundamentals started to fall apart. You know, after he had a couple really good seasons, I think everybody thought we're getting a second chance at Andrew Luck. And he's just not shown to be, in my mind, that good of a decision maker. Although he really is, like, in my opinion, a poor man's Andrew Luck. They do a lot of the same things. Like the flaws that people would pick out for Andrew Luck are similar things, right? Like Andrew Luck would get beaten up in a battle line. When Carson Wentz has struggled, that's been the same, right? But they also don't help themselves out and avoid contact, throw the ball away. They just take shots. And I think it is going to take a pairing with either Frank Reich or another offensive genius and get him back in a rhythm, scheme him up like the 49ers just throwing out a team with Kyle Shanahan. I think that would be really interesting. Personally, I hope Sam Darnold gets a chance at the 49ers or the Colts. And maybe let's end it with that. Do you think Sam Darnold gets another chance as a starter? Like to start a season, you're the starter, not where – giving you long-term money but like we're going with I don't I don't know if he'll start a season but it it, he'll start a game somewhere else that isn't the Jets at some point here I think pretty soon I am a little pessimistic about Sam Darnold because I don't I don't not completely saying it's off the table um he was someone that I actually believed in you know kind of last year I said he reminded me a little bit of Carson Palmer 
he's someone that I would like to see somewhere else because the Jets are just an absolute black hole for especially someone who was young and raw. Like he's super young. He's really, really young. And age is something that I don't think people kind of take into account as much as they should. Like a rookie like Joe Burrow who comes in the league at like 24 or 23 or whatever it is versus 20. Three years of development for a young quarterback is a long time. So like Sam Darnold has really struggled in his, but he's still a super young guy. He's not someone that I would trade and hand the keys to as the, without any kind of competition. Because if I was in win now mode, like kind of the 49ers are, I would, I would much rather make a trade for someone like Stafford or something like that than, than go win now mode with Sam Darnold. Because I do think that he has legitimate problems with his decision making. And probably some people think he's just this really good quarterback that just needs another chance. And I think he, he does need another chance, but I think it's far from – I wouldn't be trading any kind of high pick for him because I think there's a pretty decent shot that it doesn't work out. Oh, Flacco, I think, has been better on the Jets than, than Darnold has been. I think you bring up a good point with the 49ers, and realistically with their roster construction, they are more in win-now mode, so going with Sam Darnold would seem like maybe as a move for a backup, right? Get rid of Nick Mullins and maybe put him behind a Stafford just in case. But I do fall more in line with Sam Darnold is a good quarterback who needs another chance. Now, the major pushback for me personally on Sam Darnold, my main doubt is I don't think he's gotten better from the first day that he stepped into the NFL. And the only thing that I don't get with people just saying that he's trash and there's no way he should get another job is I think there's a misconception that he hasn't played really well. And in my opinion, he definitely has. Now, not always massive numbers, but he went 6-2 and two with the Jets last year, right? Mm-hmm. And overall for the season, right, 7-6. and six. And I think that's really impressive. I think he has all the talent in the world, maybe not Mahomes level, right, but a plenty of talent. The decision-making is a question mark. However, I do think it's a bit overstated. When you look at his turnover numbers, they are higher than you would want them to be, but they are relatively within the normal young quarterback range. I think we just remember them more because they do come with a little bit more pizzazz than a lot of quarterbacks. And I think that's part of the reason that I was probably more down on Josh Allen than I should have been. But we've never seen anything like him getting this good this fast. That's something that, I mean, I guess Bills fans predicted it, but that's because they're Bills fans. Like, I don't think you can rel- – you can now, – now that Josh Allen had that, I think everyone's going to point to, to, you know, Drew Locke and, and Sam Darnold and be like, look, they could be, they could be Josh Allen. Like, Josh, that never happens. So, but, yeah, I was down on him too. In our defense, the jump that Josh Allen made from college to the NFL, we've never seen that before. We've never seen a quarterback be so inaccurate in college – and then have a year, let alone like he's having this year. But honestly, he was, he was inaccurate in college, and then he was inaccurate last – like he was one of the least accurate quarterbacks in the league last year, and then just all of a sudden he just got great accuracy. So, yeah, it's super weird. All right, last question. I promise this yeah. time, last question. Is it crazy – actually, two parts. Sorry, two parts. Is it crazy to say that the Jets have a decent chance winning out? No, I don't think it's – I mean – Browns and Patriots. I don't think it's crazy. No, no team tanks. No team ever goes in and tries to win a lose a game. Like I said, after after they won against the Rams, 
everyone on that team, their job security is better now than it was two days ago. And if Sam Darnold wants to keep his, keep his job as a starter, it's in his best interest to play his best football that he's played in his whole life, like these next two games. It's in Adam Gase's best interest to coach the best two games of his whole life, these next two games. Like everyone, like if you finish 3-13 and 13, and if, or if you finish 0-16, that's a big difference on how you're viewed in history. So I feel like the Jets are going to be playing harder than, than the Patriots. Certainly, I don't think Bill Belichick cared this whole season. <laughs> I think he thinks it's dumb that we're playing in a COVID year. He's kind of said it himself. I still don't hate Cam. I think that with their weapons, their margin for error is so low that I don't think Cam is a horrible quarterback. But he is, he's not playing great this season. It's just... I, don't, I just don't know how many quarterbacks would be playing great this season there. I think they could beat the Patriots. It's a divisional thing. They probably know the Patriots as well as anyone. And then the Browns. It was the Browns that they play, right? That's going to be a tough win, but it's possible. I don't know. I don't think it's crazy because they're going to be playing for their, their careers, a lot of their guy, those guys. So I, I don't think it's crazy, but I would say it's unlikely that they beat the Browns. Yeah, I agree with you, but I would say there's at least a small chance. Yeah, no, um, I think so, and especially, like you said, they're playing for their jobs. And, you know, I think hopefully it doesn't happen, at least in my opinion. I'm a little biased because I'm a Southern Cal fan, right? So I like Sam Darnold. Like that Raiders game might have the potential to sway whether or not Sam Darnold gets to stay a starter for another year or not, right? And I think no, that's the, the thing that, that people win, missed. That, that, win versus, uh, that win versus the Jets, he was guaranteed to get replaced. If they if they go 0-16, 100% guaranteed they, they select Trevor Lawrence. I like I promise you they would. I don't promise you they'll take Trey Lance number two. I don't promise you they'll take Justin Fields number two because they're not near. I don't think they're near the prospect that Trevor Lawrence is. And I'm not a huge Darnold guy, but I'm not a huge guy of any of those other quarterbacks that aren't Lawrence. So Darnold may have saved his career, and Greg Williams probably would have saved his career if he didn't call that like it doesn't make any sense that they would just throw things away because it, it, it hurts everything about you. If you play bad, because to lose, you have to play bad. And if you play bad, you're not going to get as much money. And that's what it comes down to. Yeah. 100%. I mean, I don't, I think people miss that. that like those players are playing yeah. really hard because you get cut. Like your career can end so fast. Well, I mean, we're talking about Sam Darnold because everybody focuses on him, but it applies to every single player there. Right. And the coach the guy like who, you said. Yeah, the guy who blew that coverage versus Ruggs, Lamar Jackson, the corner, I think he was undrafted. I mean, that guy, can you blow this coverage real quick? He's going like, to be like, no, no, I'm not going to do that. So, yeah, tanking is something that's – GMs know their team is going to be, like, struggle. They will, you know, sell off their huge contracts for, for draft picks. Well, the team that gets trotted out there on Sundays is trying to win that game. No doubt. And then the, just the last thing on that, I think people forget it's not baseball. It's not basketball. When you lose, you don't just walk off without bumps and bruises. Like in the NFL, if you aren't trying, let alone even if you are trying and you just aren't good enough, you get physically beat up. And if you aren't trying on every play, especially on the defensive side, you're just giving up a touchdown every play, every drive. Right. So as bad as it may look, those guys are trying as hard as they can. I think it's going to be really interesting to see what the Jets end up trying to do, whether that's move on from Sam Darnold, 
or keep him. I guess part of it probably will depend on if they could somehow win a couple more games. And then you aren't even looking at your second choice for quarterback possibly. But Theo, again, I appreciate you coming on the show, sharing your challenging ideas. I always love having the conversations. Let the people know where they can find you. So you can find you can find me on TikTok at 16 game sample size. I'm pretty active on Twitter at TheoAsh1. I'm not really giving analysis on Twitter. I'm just kind of <laughs> I'm just kind of making jokes about what I'm seeing on on the games. But you can find me at TheoAsh1 on Twitter, 16 game sample size on TikTok and YouTube and that's where I'm going to get most of my football content. All right, awesome. Thank you very much. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yes, sir. Thank you for listening to the Bolstered Up Sports Podcast. I'm Brian Bolster. Please follow me on Instagram at bolstered underscore up underscore sports and on Twitter at BS underscore takes. Please share, rate, review, and subscribe. The NBA opening night is tonight. Y'all stay tuned for more NBA content as well as NFL. The playoffs are knocking on the door, so it's go time. Y'all stay tuned.